0: The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink. The TNT Shop has it all at
1: TNTradio.live.
0: This is The Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio.
1: Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to this live broadcast. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. Thank you for rejoining us. We're in the second hour here on Tuesday. This is TNT, Today's News Talk. Appreciate you guys. We're going out on the live video and audio streams. Uh, if you're watching or listening to us on X on Twitter, we're streaming out live uh, TNT Radio's account there. Also, we've reposted that at 21WIRE. At You'll also find the TNT stream on YouTube. I know a lot of people listening there. You can go to the website, to get all the links there it's got all the sort of options audio and video so you're pretty much full coverage of the internet so it's not like there's not a venue where you can watch the broadcasting uh, talk radio 365 7 now in the second hour we're going to be joined by basil valentine also blake lovewell uh, a lot of ground to cover so we'll do our best to do it great conversation with benjamin rubinstein uh before the break look forward to having been on again uh it was a great discussion i like talking about the political shape of things in the United States during an election year and everything that you've seen uh, happening internationally is actually having an effect on the ballot box uh, for the Democrats. and. It's a good opportunity for Republicans to pick up votes uh, as well, um, but they're not going to pick up as many as they probably could uh, because they're in lockstep with the Democrats on pretty much all of this stuff as well. The only thing they're arguing over is dollar amounts, you know, how much money should we give Ukraine, how much money should we give the Taiwanese, and should the Israelis get more? So they're really arguing about who should get more money, not about whether we should be funding proxy wars around the world uh, and basically alienating all of our allies, uh people of the United States used to be able to work with their previous partners are now their enemies. There's a lot of people in Washington that regard rivals and enemies when they see anything emerging in the in the region of the world. So rather than look at uh China as a potential partner, no, they're a rival. They 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 wish to do us harm, say all these senators and congressmen who want to sound tough uh, when they're talking raising money for fundraising and so forth so is that really the case I don't think so I don't think so uh the the China is not uh has never attacked the United States uh they're not in occupying power they're not sending their Navy around the world they don't have thousands of uh military facilities around the planet they don't have that they're not overthrowing governments. They're not doing that. So how is China a threat uh, to anybody, let alone the United States? Oh, they're a threat to U.S. dominance. Okay, that's another debate. If, if, if being dominant is the end-all, be-all of your international raison d'etre, uh, well, I don't know. I, I, I can't really help you at that point. So anyway, that's where it's at, ladies and gentlemen. And let's go over and just kind of do a quick update here situation in the Middle East, currently more tense than ever over the past four decades, says Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. Anthony Blinken says, I would argue that we have not seen a situation this dangerous uh, as the one we're facing now across the region since at least 1973, 50 years ago. Okay. Is he saying there's been relative peace in the Middle East since 1973. What planet are these people on, anyway? And arguably, says Blinken, even before that. So profound, and oh, what a great mind we have in the Secretary of State and Anthony Blinken. Blinken said Monday, referring to the two-week-long Yom Kippur War. Of course, yes, let's talk about Yom Kippur 50 years ago. Is it relevant now? No, it's not relevant. <laughs> he continues. I think it's very important to note that this is an incredibly volatile time in the Middle East. You don't say so, Tony, you don't say so. It really, is it volatile? Do you think it's volatile because of the US actions and the fact the US is backing, arming, giving the bombs for a genocide in Gaza? Do you think that has something to do with the volatility? Anthony, can you you work that into your analysis? Maybe, maybe a little bit. Please work that into your analysis, Mr. Blinken so that's where it's at ladies and gentlemen uh look we'll, let's take a brief break here uh with tnt today's news talk i'm patrick kenningsen your host uh we'll be back in just a minute to connect blake lovewell for more more commentary and analysis coming right at you
0: now as we move into an election year in u.s politics at the time When the Western Empire is under attack from within, as if an orchestrated decline is the plan. Whilst at the same time, the rise of BRICS nations represents a rise of a new multipolar order. Institutions that have controlled the world are at last being questioned for their behaviour and their failures. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. and The truth shall set us free. Those two statements sit at opposite ends of the zeitgeist in a world that is filled with death, destruction, deceit and a wholesale unwillingness to hold anyone in power to account except for anyone who takes power against the ruling elite, of course. And then we have seen how that system works. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. One reason people tune in to TNT Radio is often because they're loyal to a specific show or personality. Our personalities have been a part of people's daily routine, and people continue to tune in. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Without CO2, the world stops breathing. CO2 sustains all life on Earth. Government, the WEF, and the elite believe humans are the carbon they really want to be rid of. Today's News Talk, TNT
1: Radio. Back, folks, back here is hour number two. I want to bring on to the stage right now our uh, friendly neighborhood pundit of all things financial, crypto, and otherwise let's welcome Blake Lovewell onto the program here on TNT Blake how are you
2: hey Patrick yeah I'm doing very well thanks I hope you are and I hope the listeners out there are as well um I don't know how many listeners we have in Gaza at the moment but you know stay strong out there um but yeah so uh if we can just jump straight into it I was really interested what you're saying before you know your message to Anthony Blinken um And I've been doing some research on a forthcoming article uh, tentatively titled World War Grift. Um, Here I'm digging into the uh, global um, arms manufacturing, arms dealing industry um, and trying to put some flesh on the bone to um, delve into the depths of what's what's going on. And really, um, the more I've been studying in recent um, weeks and months, um, you know, Gaza, um, as well as Yemen, and then um, what's going on in Ukraine as well. Um, it really seems to me that these conflicts are being, uh, the the flames of conflict are being fanned for uh, profit. Um, of course, there are geo political uh points um you know uh points of contention ukraine used to be in the soviet union used to be part of russia now it's kind of you know divided between the european and the russian um orders um so there's contention there obviously israel you know that's as old as time as old as uh you know at least uh, biblical times that conflict uh, and then yemen is on the really strategic point between um uh yemen and eritrea um the straits to the red sea um, no surprise too, that Eritrea and Yemen, uh, two of the poorest countries on earth, uh, at this, uh, bottleneck where some hundreds of, um, billions of trade, uh, pass through every day. Um, but yeah, so I'm delving into the arms industry and in Blinken, uh, that really, uh, ignited my, um, wit there because, um, I read a statement about him, um, promoting, uh, some of these arms deals um that the us is doing worldwide by saying ah oh, it creates more jobs in the us um, and that's one of the uh sort of sickening facets of the arms industry is when they try and uh pretend like it's anything but um a massive uh, murder for profit regime around the world um they try and make it uh, present it uh, about jobs uh it's good it's good for the economy you know um well you know, out of the millions that is spent on arms, they create very, very few jobs. They're very highly technical, highly specific jobs. Um, and the cost of those jobs um, is very often death. And as we see in Gaza, as we see in Yemen and and uh, many other conflicts, it's very um, rarely uh the ostensible baddie, the one baddie, uh, bad actor that that, uh, the international community can point at, you know, your Bin Laden or, you know, for a while it was uh, Saddam Hussein. You know, it'd be very easy to precision bomb them with these supposed precision weapons, but um, far too often in this modern era where, you know, we have courts in The Hague for war crimes, um, they seem so toothless uh, when uh, countries, states, and corporations are able to indiscriminately bomb uh, civilians uh, um, hospitals and schools um there's there's uh so many documented cases of this in gaza and many undocumented cases of this happening in yemen and um this new coalition which is kind of a rebrand of the old coalition that's uh, the saudi-led co- coalition that since 2015 has been indiscriminately bombing and uh using all sorts of uh dodgy weapons uh, on the yemeni people um it seems like we're rehashing the same old thing and um that's why I think it's uh, really important to highlight what are the real causes. Yes, there are geopolitical causes, but I think one massive cause is uh, profit. Unfortunately, for the military-industrial complex,
1: the world war grift. That world, that's a that's a good that's a good term, uh, Blake. That really kind of describes things uh, as they truly are. So right now, uh, we, we're looking at a situation where the Middle East is not much in terms of U.S. interests there. I mean, the U.S. doesn't buy a lot of oil anymore from Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. not really on the table. Saudi, Saudi, of course, puts the money in, buys T-bills, buys U.S. debt, helps to float the U.S. reserve currency. But in terms of U.S. interests right now, like what are they? I guess the U.S. interest, Blake, the sole U.S. interest is supporting Israel. And that's mm-hmm. uh, sold to the American people as in the interest of the U S to protect, you know, the Muslim hordes from, you know, coming over to the West, we need to back Israel. They're fighting them there. So we don't have to fight them over here. I'm literally telling you verbatim, uh, how the, <laughs> how the discourse goes in America. Um, so there's no U S interest really in there, but there is U S interest. Blake, the mm-hmm. defense industry is doing very well out of all these wars. They're backing. Mm-hmm. They're arming all of these countries, pretty much, mm-hmm. uh, in the region, except for Syria uh, and a few others. But look at Egypt, UAE. Uh, who else? Uh, who else is buying U.S. weapons? Bahrain, uh, Qatar, yeah, Saudi Arabia. Yeah, they're all they're they're all getting U.S. weapons. So, yeah, um, those is that the U.S. interest? Just just the war?
2: I would say um, it's definitely a big one, like uh, you, all those countries you mentioned are pouring billions, literal billions, into this arms industry. Um, and, you know, the arms industry has seen year on year record profits being made. Um, you know, a few, maybe a few years ago, 2018, you could say, oh, there hasn't been a massive land war for a while. Potentially, we're seeing a cessation of this type of thing. Um, I would even roll that argument back to the advent of the nuclear bomb. At that point, the, uh, um the the whole game changes because nobody wants to escalate a war to the point of mutually assured destruction. Um, no one wins there. So then almost what is the point of these regional conflicts? Um, so to have that, you know, going maybe eighty years down the line, um, it seems nonsensical unless we find new motives. and I definitely think, Uh, profit is um a large one of those um saudi arabia buys most of their weapons from the us um some specifically from the uk i think that we can't it would be remiss of us to discuss this as if the us were one um unique actor the uk uh is working hand in hand often referred to as the lapdog in the bush blair era in the iraq era um um but you know um the uk um has uh, bae systems which is the second biggest manufacturer of arms in the world um they manufacture everything from missiles jets components as well as intelligence stuff and all sorts lockheed martin though is is number one their their turnover is about 60 billion um in the last year um which equals the amount of uh weapons that saudi arabia has bought um from the us and uk over the same time period so um these are huge amounts of money and and you know when you get into talking about billions you kind of you lose um you know the sensitivity to how much that actually is Um, but i did a rough um, calculation that one billion dollars or one billion pounds is roughly five thousand houses uh, at the average house price. So you know that's kind of a ballpark figure. So if you imagine one billion is five thousand houses, um, if someone is doing a deal for a couple of billion and they can get a, a small slice of that, because everyone in the middleman position is getting a slice of those deals. You know, you uh, an American missile that they you know uh, the once they're firing into yemen today yesterday and the day before each one of those costs roughly 2.1 million uh for an anti-drone missile 2.1 million dollars um if you if you turn that in like in terms of food that they could be giving to um, you know, starving Yemeni children that have cholera, a disease that was supposed to be eradicated decades ago, um, or to Gazan citizens, or whatever. You know, that would be a disproportionately huge amount to be able to give in aid. Um, and, and every time um, you, we see this uh, pattern repeated in in Yemen, the UK uh, were were touting um, a couple of years ago this bill where they were um, sending up to 190 million pounds of aid, uh, and you know, on the backhand of that. They were supplying six million pounds of, sorry, six billion pounds of arms to Saudi Arabia to use against um, Yemeni uh, people. Um, and so you know it's it's giving with one hand, you know this arms, this whatever, and um, arms, a l m s, you know, as in food or sustenance or care. And then with the other hand, that's you know eight times larger. They're um, giving you know massive amounts of weapons uh, to the Saudis to destroy you with. Um, and those arms deals benefit everyone. And there's a reason why um, there's so much lobbying and and you, you know these billion dollar. It's one of the biggest industries in the world, the arms industry. Um, um yeah it doesn't make any sense to us as people with a a moral compass so um yeah we really have to delve deeper I think uh, to understand the causes of today's conflict
1: no absolutely absolutely look there's uh there's a lot of ground to cover there certainly uh the situation right now um in in the region is not good uh it's threatening to draw the United States into a wider conflict there's a lot of people are going to be happy about that let's be honest A lot of people that want that to happen uh, in Washington. So, But uh, it would be a disaster, I think, on a number of different levels, uh, including for the United States, because they wouldn't be able to recover their position in the region Um, anyway, though. Financially, though, uh, Blake, you've got the issue of oil. You've got the issue of gas internationally. There's already disruptions here. There's already price spikes, especially in Europe, uh, potentially with regards to, let's say, the closure of uh, the Bab al-Mandeb Straits or uh, no traffic going through the Suez. The increasing cost of shipping stuff around uh, South Africa, all the way around the continent, and then over uh, in the United States, uh, you know, they're shipping fracking LNG over to to Europe as well. Biden's come in and said, "No, no, we need to halt that because fracking is not green." Uh, I personally oppose fracking Uh, because I think it's a very dirty way of making natural gas. but So there are all sorts of potential disruptions here. We're already seeing the makings of some potentially bad economic outcomes uh, in this election year, Blake. Uh, Could Hmm. this be exacerbated by a conflict? If so, what's going to happen then?
2: Well, 100%, it could be exacerbated. It already is being exacerbated in the very short term with shipping. We're seeing uh, insurance prices uh, rocketing, not just rising, but rocketing um, those those prices along with a bundle of other prices involved in shipping will be passed on to the consumer. Um as you know, there's more fuel. A 36 week journey, not a 26-week journey is uh, you know, a massive increase um all round in cost. Um and what that passes on to the consumer is inflation. Uh inflation, which um you know if we're kind of pivot into the economic sphere the the uh, governments around the world can't really control inflation they've proven that um inflation is very sticky particularly in stuff like uh you know that the regular joe is really feeling uh your food at, at the supermarket or restaurant is uh, you know running at about 10 percent inflation as much as they can massage the core cpi figures and try and bring it down and say oh inflation is actually going down um uh, Paul Krugman will post a, a tweet saying you know inflation's actually gone down so I don't know what you all are talking about but he's using in insanely massaged statistics um, if you use the same statistics that were used in even the 1990s uh, inflation for the regular person is running at about 10% i.e your savings are eroding by 10% a year if you do nothing or prices are and or prices are rising 10% in the same year so um that inflation is not under control. Um, And I've been really delving into a little, um, you know, the backwaters of uh, macroeconomics, Um, but March is gonna be a very tricky season because lots of these uh, facilities that banks uh, in the US are using to uh, stay afloat um, in the face of rising interest rates on their debt, uh, those facilities are gonna run out. Um, We're talking about the reverse repo market. And then um, there are are a few more facilities that banks can use to get that uh, Um, easy cash flow to keep going, uh, to keep sustaining some reckless gambles. And and really, it's um, all down to Janet Yellen at the Treasury. Um, as much as there's uh, Jay Powell in charge of the Federal Reserve, he can um, you know, control how much uh, money is issued uh, by the Federal Reserve in dollars, dollars being the world's um, reserve currency. So they're the prime mover. Um, Janet Yellen at the Treasury, she um, holds the US Treasuries, which back anything that the US Federal Reserve can print. And she is unbeholden to anyone else. She can do that almost lottery um it's her and probably a group of uh policy makers that are involved in, in making those decisions but um jay powell at the fed is a lot more beholden to global market conditions given the uh, reserve status of the dollar um that being said all uh, all of the, their weapons are kind of being used up in this fight for inflation um and what happens when they run out well they have to allow some sort of correction and uh you know looking at my crystal ball, um, seeing lots of these things backing up in into into March of this year, I think that what they'll do is allow a few more uh, small regional banks to collapse. Um, And this will create a minor economic crisis, Um, minor because it's controllable by them, the too big to fail banks, you know, everybody's favorites, the JP Morgans, the, you know, the good guys who we love uh, supporting with uh, taxpayer money over and over again in their malfeasances. Um, They'll be allowed to um, access certain um, facilities that will allow them to keep going. They'll also be allowed to gobble up more and more smaller banks, uh, regional banks that are already under the water, um, given that uh, interest rates have meant that they cannot afford to sustain the cheap debt that they built up during the covid era um so kind of uh all of the plates are going to come crashing down at once um unless they unless the federal reserve and treasury in tandem can uh, manage a really um a really neat um you know uh, game where whereby they swap the players um they they pretend like there's still money in the system they pretend like there's faith in the system but um i think really they're they're on a bit of a sinking ship i think people around the world um have seen um not only their um economic crisis coming in the usa um we're talking about the trends of de-dollarization and the rise of the BRICS too um there's also the kind of um, pan-arab movement against israel which is tied in with um um totally tied in with america um let us not forget that the ansar Allah movement um of yemen which is very popular amongst arabic countries their um their slogan is god is the greatest death to america death to israel a curse upon the jews victory to islam um so yeah we can't really uh yeah we can't forget that that's kind of uh well supported in um in the region of the middle east and uh i think that um you know looking at china and russia they're both quite alienated from america as much as they're tied more tied in than than we're often led to believe i think they're geopolitically trying to really realign right now so things don't look great for america as much as they can pretend um because any con game uh requires confidence um and if they can retain that confidence then um so be it and you mentioned election there I mean we can really uh, go on a new tangent there so I won't just get started uh with uh with my crystal ball there
1: no I'll just I'll just I'll just uh, add to what you said uh Blake is that uh, mm-hmm. it sounds like in terms of uh the Fed in terms of the U.S government um they're going to do anything possible to avoid uh a major interest rate hike um, because that's gonna, you know, we're, they're all addicted to cheap, cheap, cheap capital. So, I mean, this is the, you can, the biggest drug dealer in America they deal dollars, um, at a low, a low cost. So I think that's that's one thing that I see uh, is nobody wants to have a major interest rate hike. That's what actually needs to happen. I don't think they hiked it enough before. Uh, And we're still we still have the inflation in America. It's crazy. Um, So there's there's some developing world countries that have a lower inflation rate at the moment than than the United States. So I think they've kind of failed in that department. So that's Mm going to be one that's still that's still going to be an issue. Gas prices are down in America um that's going to be good for the biden administration but not really because there was so much pain that was suffered the last two years so so people Mm -hmm. have long memories in terms of pain Mm -hmm. inflicted by the government policies like canceling pipelines and like you know doing all these things the things that biden has done so it's going to be an interesting one blake we just got a minute left i want to get your final thoughts before we go to break uh go ahead
2: yeah, the statistics are really bad for Biden. You know, you, I don't think you can pull off the usual tricks of buying buying votes with you know promises here uh, or with a miraculous stock market growth that we're seeing now. That's really confined to the stock market, and it's a feverish growth, uh, a maniacal gambler laughing at the slot machine as his very last quarter goes in, uh, betting it all. Um, so yeah, my predictions are uh, you know come back in March and we'll see what what the heavens is going on there. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. I hope yes. it all uh, comes to a peaceful, <laughs> a peaceful conclusion. Um, whatever, wherever happens in the geopolitical sphere, uh, for not us too, the regular people,
1: not too much, uh, not too much volatility, Blake. Uh, I wish I could say that uh, I'm not uh, seeing the, all the telltale signs of this, though, uh, in the immediate horizon. Certainly, we see it. Bitcoin's been a bit volatile as well, a little, little bit of a roller coaster ride of recent not a bad thing for the crypto community they love the roller coaster blake the crypto Mm. community love they love a good ride don't they in the crypto totally
2: they love they love a bit of punishment um uh and yeah the ups and the downs you can win on both the ups and the downs they've learned from the baddies um mm-hmm. in in, in uh, wall street uh, how to do that um but yet they're doing it with new technology and uh yeah we'll we'll be doing a crypto episode soon so we can really delve into um what's going on there because uh it's super interesting and and I do think it ties into a lot of uh, these themes um mm-hmm. you know such as de-dollarization um, Certainly. but it's so, it's a, it's yeah, a very murky so sphere
1: we're gonna go down there we're gonna we're gonna go there very soon with Blake Lovewell looking forward to the World War Grift. Uh, piece that you have, you're working on. We'll Mm -hmm. publish that at 21st Century Wire. We'll also be letting people know when Blake's released that. We might comment on a few things when we talk to Blake next. But uh, Blake Lovewell, ladies and gentlemen, a great contributor uh, to this program and also to 21stCenturyWire.com. We value his commentary, his opinion and analysis. Let's take a break right now. We're going to go after these messages, connect with our intrepid Correspondent on Global Affairs, Basil Valentine, coming up in just a few. I'm Patrick Henningsen. Stay there.
3: Our beautiful world is changing, withering, dying by the hands of those who don't value nature, even though we all depend on it for life itself. But there is hope. Together with caring friends, the Nature Conservancy can restore our lands, heal our waters, and save our wildlife with big solutions only nature can provide. But every day we lose more of the places we love and we urgently need to save endangered lands, waters and wild species. The actions we take today will determine the tomorrow we leave to our children and grandchildren. The water they drink, the air they breathe, the beauty they experience, To learn more about how you can help protect and conserve our beautiful world, visit nature.org today.
2: Around here, bushfire is just a part of life. We've been through it before, and we'll get through it again. The people here all look out for each other. We're a community that does its bit to plan and prepare to keep everyone safe. We live with bushfire, so we live bushfire ready.
0: With a compelling perspective on global politics, this is The Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT
1: Radio. All right, folks, back, back, there. We're back, we're back. Second hour, last segment of the second hour here. Thank you, Blake Lovewell. Great discussion on the World War grift. This is a topic that is not going away. Blake's been looking into it. he has got a great piece coming up, which he's going to publish at 21st century wire. And Blake's articles are packed with information and research. So we're looking forward to that. Sharing that with everybody here, dropping that in the TNT chat room as well. Hello to everybody again in the TNT chat room. Great to see you guys in there and active as well. Good numbers as well today. But uh, let's pivot right now back to uh, Middle East, back to world politics, UK politics. Basil Valentine, our intrepid correspondent, joining us on the line right now. Basil, how are you doing?
4: Very well, thank you, Patrick. Good to be with you. And hello to our viewers and listeners all around the world.
1: So, Basil, what is the latest right now uh, in the Middle East? And I want to get over to the UK political reaction. There's been some developments on this. I've seen Lord Cameron... The foreign minister, uh, he has made a comment about Palestinian statehood, I find to be perplexing at this time. I want to get your take on that. But just on the ground right now, what is the situation uh, in in Gaza?
4: Well, the hot news on the diplomatic front is that a draft peace proposal has been put to both the Israelis and Hamas uh, by the Paris conference. Uh, Mohammed Nazal of the Hamas Political Bureau speaking on Al Jazeera a couple of hours ago said that the Hamas Political Bureau is now going to study the proposal before traveling to Cairo to continue their negotiations with Egyptian and Qatari mediators. Um, The talk of course is of a ceasefire, 45 days has been mentioned But Hamas say they are only interested in an agreement that leads, even if it's in stages, to a permanent ceasefire. They cannot accept the so-called humanitarian pause if it means the bombing is going to continue. They also require the complete withdrawal from Gaza of all Israeli troops, and the allowing of course of humanitarian aid into gaza Uh, interestingly enough a couple of those demands are exactly what the icj is calling for but uh, unfortunately uh, it looks as if the israeli war cabinet uh, and then the larger so-called security cabinet uh, is likely to reject it the major sticking point remaining the duration of the pause in the fighting israel is coming under increasing pressure domestically to do more to try and secure the release of the hostages even though uh, benjamin netanyahu said in his interview with douglas murray uh, yesterday that basically he didn't really care about the fate of the hostages and that winning the war was more important um, nevertheless the hostages are an important bargaining chip in all this and certainly from Hamas's point of view uh, apparently starting with women and children they are willing to release all the Israeli hostages if it leads to a permanent ceasefire however although a ratio of one to 250 has been suggested in terms of the uh, prisoner swap on both sides 250 Palestinians Uh, held in Israeli jails for every uh, Israeli prisoner held by Hamas Um, there are substantial elements of the Israeli government who do not want to see the mass release of Palestinian prisoners who would veto it so a couple of big sticking blocks here and um, although it might be achievable in stages it seems to be a lot of distance between the two sides still
1: yeah so i saw that uh, I, I don't think it's i don't think the you know 50 hamas releasing 50 uh, israeli hostages uh, some of those are military by the way um uh in exchange for 250 palestinians that have been held in administrative detention in the gulags uh, in israel not a bad deal not a bad deal because look if if it accelerates a cessation of hostilities then why not take it uh they get what they want the other side gets what they want but it's funny that um israel always has this problem and you know what the headlines are going to be basil you know how this goes um israel will go to the media and to the world to the us saying we offered them a good ceasefire deal and like always the corrupt palestinian leadership rejected this great deal that we offered them have you heard that one before
4: uh we heard it at Oslo. We heard it when Ehud Barak famously went to Camp David with Yasser Arafat just before the end of the Clinton presidency. So we've heard that a lot in the past. Um, you know, the problem we've got, of course, is that substantial elements in the Israeli government who were at the settlers' jamboree earlier this week uh far from withdrawing from gaza they want to settle it they want to take it over they want to steal it basically so you know on the one hand you've got international mediators uh saying well including supposedly the u.s saying well you know israel is going to have to withdraw from gaza uh, at some point from the rubble uh you've got you know large parts of Israeli government and society saying no we we want it for ourselves so there's a huge gulf there as well of course as uh, the fact that this deal if it leads to a permanent ceasefire would mean that Hamas continues to exist whether or not they are part of any future government um you know is a moot point you know I don't think the Americans would find that acceptable but uh, the Israelis want to or so they say they want to eliminate Hamas right down to the last individual right down to the guy who cleans the tunnels and the bloke who does the letter set or whatever you know um and a ceasefire that came into force over the next week or so if it was to become permanent would mean that the vast majority of senior Hamas commanders uh, and the people who've been doing the fighting uh, on the ground and underground in Gaza would remain alive, so mm.
1: and stronger yeah. than ever, uh, uh, Basil, and and, and battle hardened. They've taken the best shot. Uh, and they'll they'll make adjustments, won't they, in terms of their defense, uh, like they have after past bombardments. Uh, only this time, um, they're going to have the support of a lot more people uh, around the world for their resistance. So ha- haven't Israel really legitimized Hamas as much as anything after this genocide that they've carried out in Gaza?
4: Well, it's very interesting because Israel, obviously, and a lot of Western nations, including the UK and the US, designate Hamas a terrorist organization, in which case, if you're dealing with terrorists, it's a branch of criminality. So therefore, Hamas should be, in the language of the West, treated as a criminal organization rather than a national government. And you can't have a war against a criminal organization you can only really have uh police-like activities to arrest so we've got a war against uh against who exactly um but having said that you know the way israel is acting is that this is a war not just against hamas but against every member of uh Palestinian society, uh, widely reported this morning, of course, doing the rounds on X was a sort of bizarre spectacle, uh blood curdling spectacle, really, of Israeli forces dressed in doctor's scrubs and women's clothes, who broke into uh a hospital in the West Bank city of Jenin, not in not in the in, in Gaza at all. Um and proceeded to assassinate three people in their hospital beds uh in what even mainstream commentators are describing as a terrorist or certainly terrorist looking um, escapade I mean absolutely bizarre it looks like something almost out of a comedy film to see these uh it's, it's caught on camera by the security cameras in the hospital to see these uh people somebody dressed as a woman and then someone else dressed as a doctor suddenly pulling out machine guns and uh, going around the hospital starting to execute people uh, a death squad simple as that uh, and this uh, again I mean of course they, they, the Israelis claiming the dead men were Mohammed Jalamana a spokesperson for Hamas's military wing a member of Islamic Jihad and his brother and allegedly all three were active in the umbrella force known as the Janine battalion but the medical director of the hospital said they were quite simply executed in cold blood no due process or anything like that
1: unbelievable that that, that is just like uh, uh beyond the pale i mean this is in the west bank by the way it's uh, but again hamas hamas it's it's the sort of skeleton key isn't it basil it's like the swiss army knife uh, they can just drop that name They're even going after the UN uh, uh, Relief and and Works Agency, uh, providing humanitarian aid uh, to the Gaza Strip, uh, calling them a terrorist organization, claiming that 10% of this UN Relief Agency are uh, linked to or uh, affiliated with or connected to Hamas. Therefore, we must uh, defund them. And destroy this agency. It's a terrorist organization. This is literally what they're saying uh, across the Israeli and US media uh, at the moment. It's unbelievable.
4: And there was a dreadful propaganda cartoon in the Washington Post this morning uh, depicting a a UNRWA relief truck with uh, a graphic on the rearview mirror saying, you know, watch out, terrorists may be closer than you think um copying the uh, warning sign that a lot of trucks carry you know indicating that there may be children or pedestrians uh, that the driver of the truck cannot see um but of course you know if uh, hamas has been the government of uh the gaza strip for several years and the relief agency provides jobs to thousands of people it's inevitable that some members of the relief agency would also be members of the governing party Um, you know just as in china there is huge membership of the communist party and in the united states a lot of people belong to the democratic party or the republican party Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that anybody in the united nations relief agency had anything to do with plotting october the 7th or taking part in it uh, it simply means that, uh, perhaps for reasons of their own career advancement or whatever, they are supporters of the government party who won elections the last time they were allowed to hold any.
1: Very telling indeed. Very telling indeed. Now, uh, United United Kingdom. Uh, David Cameron, this uh, new type of foreign minister who doesn't sit in the House of Commons but lives over in the Lords, Lord Cameron, as he's now known, uh, he's weighed in with a pretty big statement. But how significant is this? Or are we looking at PR damage control? Uh, he's talking about a Palestinian state. What do you make of this?
4: Well, Cameron has always been a two-stater, or so he claims, you know, that he believes that there is. The potential for a viable palestinian state i'm not quite sure exactly where and uh, if the uk was to go ahead and recognize a palestinian state in advance of any major peace talks or conference or even the conclusion of the present hostilities that would be a very significant development i mean it was only a few days ago that the so-called labor party which is supposed to be traditionally more sympathetic to the Palestinian cause started off by echoing uh, Netanyahu's veto on a Palestinian state only then to row back and start Mm -hmm. saying no neighbor should have a veto on the establishment of a state by uh, their uh, adjacent neighbors Uh, and now it seems Cameron has gone that bit further but he only said might uh, the UK might recognize a Palestinian state so in the diplomatic language and the choreography of what's going on at the moment it's a sort of warning shot across the Israelis bowels it's the first indication of any kind of I wouldn't even call it pushback but as you know a line in the sand I don't know sand gets washed over by the sea on the beach and the line disappears so you know it's a milk toast comment really. I mean, the significant thing would be if Britain just went ahead and unilaterally recognized a Palestinian state. Um, but nevertheless, it's a slightly more moderating tone. Put it that way.
1: It would be interesting, you know, Basil, with this uh, genocide convention, uh, if if, if a, a vote does go after South Africa's uh, preliminary uh, ruling, if a vote does go to the UN Security Council, let's say the United States vetoes it, Britain abstains, etc., then gets kicked over to the UN General Assembly under United for Peace Resolution, they will vote as well on a ceasefire. Uh, and they might vote for some other things as well that are going to go along with that. One of them would be Uh, admitting Palestine as a UN member. Okay. Now that'll be interesting because if that happens and suspends Israel as a UN member, if that happens, it will be interesting to see how Britain votes on that issue when it arises. Will it be consistent with David Cameron's statement or will they do a U-turn? That will be very telling. So put that in the margins uh, on your notes for the future. Uh, t- it's something to look at in the future. But I- I'm guessing they won't well, vote uh, recognizing a Palestinian state.
4: No, I, I, I can't. I, particularly, I mean, I hope it happens. but I can't see it happening outside of the sort of major peace conference that people like the Chinese are calling for uh, at the end of hostilities, which I think would be great to see um but uh, whether or yeah. not it would have the bona fide participation of the israelis is another matter altogether um sunak is you know arguably one of the most ardently zionist prime ministers britain has ever had i mean they've all been zionists really since you know before harold wilson or whatever but um sunak had taken a particularly strong stance i mean when he went to tel aviv uh soon after october the 7th you know he said we want you to win to the war criminal uh, facing corruption charges benjamin netanyahu um and claimed that the people of britain stand with israel which of course they don't the vast majority of them do not uh and he's since then he's doubled down it Mm. seems uh you know it is interesting that sunak's own religion and ethnicity are uh, indian and most notably hindu uh, the name rishi is a, a term used in hindu spirituality to note some to denote somebody of tremendous spiritual stature they are called a rishi but these names are appropriated by indians for their children now we know that the global south has all but unanimously uh, supported the Palestinian cause over the last few months, but not India, at least not Hindu India under Modi, because uh, they feel that they have the same sort of ethno nationalist ideology as Zionism. And one wonders the extent to which that uh, additionally affects Rishi Sunak's thinking.
1: Mm. This is true. This is true. They have a similar sort of ideological bent. There, we're talking about the Modi government uh, and the BJP and the sort of Hindu nationalism. Uh, That's right. It's the
4: only. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean Modi and Netanyahu are quite close, and Mm. uh, you know India is the only interesting. It's in BRICS, of course, um, with South Africa, who've led the genocide charge. But uh, India is far and away Israel's best ally in the global south, put it that way, until the advent of Malay.
1: (laughs) Malay, Javier, we'll we'll leave that for another uh, conversation. Uh, As months go on, we'll see if he's um, actually delivering or whether it was all hype that uh, He was the greatest libertarian on the pl- face of the planet so like literally the libertarian messiah, the, 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 the right and right wing in the West have been treating him like he was the sort of, you know, the libertarian messiah R- riding into Buenos Aires on a donkey. You know what I mean? So, um, or maybe not, maybe riding in on a sort of Chevy, uh, SUV blacked out SUV, but that's another one so yeah he's, um, quite a,
4: he's quite a character isn't he um, <laughs> yeah yes. but he, that is a different subject i just want to get back to gaza uh the population is at the border of famine according to the world health organization spokesperson christian Lindmeier, uh speaking at a briefing in geneva today he said a convoy had tried to reach nasa hospital in khan Yunis this morning with patients healthcare staff everybody there needing food but the very needy population Uh, before the truck reached Khan Yunis, took the supplies the incident shows how dire the needs are he said and on top of that of course Israeli protesters and relatives of hostages are gathered at the Kerem Shalom border crossing aiming to block trucks carrying humanitarian aid from entering Gaza a statement from the protest organizers known as order 9 the Tzav 9 movement urges that no aid should pass until the last of the hostages returns it continues there is no logic in having the trucks enter directly into the hands of hamas terrorists dozens of others are headed to the Nizada border crossing in gaza's north now of course if these protesters are allowed to prevent humanitarian aid getting into gaza i mean it's one thing to wave placards at the side of the road while the trucks go by it's quite another if you know your actions actually prevent the trucks getting through because that of course is another direct contravention of the icj ruling so you know at what point does the united nations say well you know our ruling the ruling of our highest court is being totally disregarded and ignored therefore we have to take action and for example, ensure that aid gets through to avoid genocide, avoid famine, uh, and put their own troops at these border crossings. You know, is that a realistic possibility, Patrick?
1: No, <laughs> I'd like to see it. I, I, I my personal opinion is, uh, when it comes to that region, Israel does not like other people playing around in their backyard. Uh, and they like to be in control of everything. I don't think I cannot see a foreign military stepping foot in there, armed. Maybe some unarmed arrangement, or you know, the UN peacekeepers with with uh, blank bullets kind of thing. Uh, that's it. Um, they're very they're very strict on that. Israelis. So I'd like to see it. I'd like to see it. I'd like to see uh, maybe Turkey or another sort of, you know, Middle Eastern country that has a uh, an interest in the in the in the welfare of the people in that region. I'd like to see that. I, I wouldn't want to see a Gulf state. A, a group of troops in there because there, there might be that sort of hostility uh, underlying hostility between them and the people of gaza um, and then with israel knowing that there's a possibility to inflame some relationship it would only take a false flag or an assassination to start another sub-conflict within the conflict uh basil it's very risky when you're dealing with um Israel, because it's in their interest to basically sabotage any such deal, Basil. Any such deal, and then revert back to their status quo. That's all they seem to want. I don't see any uh, recommendations, no ideas coming out of Tel Aviv, uh, Basil. Nothing. I just see like the the argument in Israel is should between the left and the hard right is uh, should we do ethnic cleansing or or genocide. That, the argument in israel is should between the left and the hard right is uh, should we do ethnic cleansing or or genocide that that's that's, yeah, that's basic
4: don't, don't yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm i'm afraid yeah no i'm afraid you're right and, and they've totally disregarded the icj ruling and they've been given cover not just by the british and american governments but by the media as well this is very they they have
1: they have they have basil valentine thank you for joining us on tnt this week amazing insights great reporting thank you
4: thank you patrick
1: there he goes ladies and gentlemen and basil valentine blake lovewell uh, and also uh, our guest, Benjamin Rubenstein, in the first hour as well. Great program. Everybody, we got a big, big show for you tomorrow. Special guests lined up. I'm looking forward to it. You will be surprised when you see who we have on screen. And we're going to get into the issues in a way we haven't before. Take care, everybody. All the best. Patrick Henningson, your host, signing out.